0: Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all that he does for us. And uh, Lord, help us to be your servants and serve you and, and do the things you would have us to do. We just, we just ask you to give us this message through your word. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Most of you have heard the old expression that I use for the title of the message today, riding in on a white horse Uh, what it means to ride in on a white horse what that expression means is that the hero rides in just in time to save the day now if you for you older people uh, uh, people uh, getting up in years you remember those days when uh, the cowboys the good cowboys always rode a white horse I mean, the Lone Ranger wouldn't be caught dead on a dark horse. I mean, because good guys rode uh, uh, white horses and bad guys wore black horses. Well, in today's lesson, we're going to be looking at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the first horse that we see, or the first horseman, is going to come riding in on a white horse. And he's going to be embraced by the whole world as a hero because heroes ride white horses. And uh, he's going to fix all the problems. Supposedly he has solutions for all the problems on this planet and, and uh, everyone's going to be able to live uh, happily ever after. Uh, so what we want to do, we want to dig into this text and look at this rider on the white horse and see whether or not Uh, if he's a whether or not he's a hero and so what we want to do is uh, pick up in chapter number six uh, beginning in verse number one and you remember from the last time John's in heaven and the lamb is given the scrolls in heaven or given the scroll in heaven and the scroll has seven seals and he's about to open the seals And when he opens the seals, that begins the great tribulation. And so we're going to be looking at the first four seals today, beginning down in verse number 1. And listen to what uh, John tells us here in verse number 1. He says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. Now, The first thing that John is going to see as he gets this vision, as this vision is given to him of the future, are and he's he's going to see these four seals open, and he's going to see the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And they're going to be released to ride through the earth. One of the horses is white. One of the horses is red. One of the horses is black. And the fourth horse is pale or dapper. And... There actually, in we, Wednesday night, we look at Zechariah's vision in chapter number six, and the horses in his vision are the same colors as the horses in John's vision of the apocalypse. And so I believe, no doubt, that Zechariah's vision was of the apocalypse too. Now it's, it's a little bit different because he sees chariots, but his emphasis isn't on the chariots, his emphasis is on the steeds, on the horses. So to get a little better insight about what's going on here, go with me to almost to the end of the Old Testament, to the book of Zechariah. In fact, if you get a chance as you're studying through Revelation, two great reads for you to read, and really if you get a chance to study them, to study them are the book of Daniel and the book of Zechariah because they're like many books of the Apocalypse. And so you can get a lot of insight uh, to the book of uh, Revelation by reading these two books. And if you happen to be studying Zechariah, you get a lot of insight in Zechariah by reading the book of Revelation. But in any any case, what just so happened, we were in chapter 6 this Wednesday night, and we looked at this vision of these four chariots, which are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And what I want you to do, look first of all down in verse number 2 of chapter 6 of Zechariah, and you'll see the horses' colors are the same. Now, they're in different order. And I don't think the order matters that much until you get to the book of Revelation and these seals are actually open and, and, and the order is explained to you. But all Zechariah does, he tells us the colors of these horses. And the horses were red. And the, in the second chariot, they were black. And then verse number 3, the third chariot, they were white. And in the fourth chariot, they were dappled. Now, again, his emphasis you see in that last two words of verse number three, his emphasis on the fact that they're, that they're steeds, they're strong steeds. And so the main thing that he was looking at is the same thing that John was looking at. He was looking at the steeds. He was looking at the horses. Now, I say you get some insight, and you do, some insight that we won't get when we get to, to Revelations uh, chapter six, uh, some insight that, that, that tells us some really interesting things about what's going on here. So, so look back at verse number 1 of chapter 6 of Zechariah, and let's read that, and we'll get some, some symbolism here that will help us to see what's happening in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. So anyway, he says, Then I turned, and I raised my eyes, and I looked, and behold, four chariots were coming between two mountains. Now, whenever you see mountains in Scripture, those are obstacles that can only be removed by God. You know, if you have faith the size of the mustard seed, you can say this mountain be moved and it'll be moved. And so when you see mountains used symbolically in Scripture, they represent an obstacle or a problem or a difficulty that can't be removed except by the power of God. And so uh, he goes on and he said they, they, they were coming between two mountains and the mountains were mountains of Bronze or brass. Whenever you see bronze or brass in Scripture, what is that symbolic of? It's symbolic of refining, of refining. It's symbolic of fire. It's symbolic of judgment. God uses judgment to refine the things of this world. And so you have these chariots, these forces, coming between these two mountains, and so we know that they're coming in judgment. And you look now, look with me now over to verse number uh, four. Of, again, we're in Zechariah. and He says, Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of heaven. Now, we, that's a really good, a really interesting thing to know when we get back to Revelation. These judgments are, are the spirits coming from heaven, four spirits going out from heaven. But Look at going on, listen to what he says, who go out from their stations before the Lord of all the earth. And so what Zechariah is telling us, and we, and again, we're going to need to know this as we get into Revelation 6, these, these are forcements of judgment, and they're coming forth from God, and in verse number 7 of Zechariah, it tells us that they walk to and throw to and fro throughout the whole earth. And so these are four spirits of judgment or forces of judgment that are going to go out into the world during the Great Tribulation. And so uh, with that insight, let's go back to Zechariah and let's look at verse number 2. Zechariah verse number 2, and we get this white horse. Zechariah chapter 6, verse number 2. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 6, verse number 2. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, there are a lot of expositors who believe that this is none other than Jesus Christ on the white horse. Because good guys wear white horses, and there's nobody who's better than Jesus Christ. Now, especially those expositors who, who use the inter- historical method of interpreting Revelation, they believe that this is Jesus Christ. And let me give you one example of how they see this uh, from one commentary. This is what it says. This, what the, this is what this commentator says. It says, this is a picture of Jesus Christ going out into the world, conquering human hearts one by one until the day that all the nations are won over to his kingdom. So things are going to get better and better until the kingdom of God becomes a reality on this earth. Boy, I got a lot of problems with that interpretation. Because look around. Hello? Are things getting better and better on this earth? No, they're getting worse and worse. And the Bible teaches that things are going to get worse and worse in the last days. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that things are going to get better and better. When they get better, that's going to come when Jesus Christ sets foot back on this earth at his second coming. They're not going to get better until then. They are going to get worse and worse. Now, there's some other problems with that interpretation. First of all, where is Jesus... When these seals are being opened, is he riding a horse? He's the one opening the seals. Jesus is in heaven. He's not on a horse. He won't come back until this earth until we get to Revelation chapter 19. There's another problem with it. When Jesus does come, his appearance is totally different. He doesn't have a bow. What is he carrying? He has a sword that comes forth from his mouth. And he's not wearing just one crown. He's wearing several crowns. He's wearing many crowns, the word tells us. And the word for crown here in Revelation 6 is different from the word for crown in Revelation 19, and it makes a lot of difference. Here in chapter 6, the word for crown is Stephanus. And Stephanus is a crown made of olive branches. Now, that would make sense if Jesus, because Jesus, when he comes, is going to come to make peace on earth, and olive branches have to do with peace. They were used and given to the victors in the arena, uh, in the Olympic arena when they won a race. They were given these crowns of olive branches, and that's the, pick, that's the crown that this person is wearing on this horse. In chapter 19, Jesus is wearing many crowns, or crowns plural. He is wearing diadems. And what are diadems? Diadems are crowns for kings. And why is that word plural? Because Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. And so this is a different person. So, so who is this person? Well, go back to Zechariah's vision. I mean, you don't have to turn there. But what, what are these horsemen coming for? Or who are these horsemen? They are spirits that are sent out before the throne of God. They're sent out from the throne of God, before the throne of God, to bring judgment upon this earth. And so there's no doubt in my mind that this horseman represents the spirit of Antichrist and the rider on this horse is none other than the Antichrist. Now, in many ways, in many ways, that spirit of Antichrist is already taken over this world or it's come to this world. I mean, we have this movement right now towards a one-world religion, toward a one-world economy, toward a one-world government, with all of that leaving out the true and living God. People don't want anything. They don't want anything to... They don't want God in their government. They don't really want God in their religion. They certainly don't want God in their economy. And and so we see this spirit of Antichrist as nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. It's been around. It's going to be much stronger in the Great Tribulation, but it's been around a long time. David wrote about it back in Psalms chapter 2. He says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, or his Christ, saying, Let us break their bonds to pieces and cast them away. Let us break their cords from us. In other words, we don't need him, we don't want him, and that is the spirit of Antichrist. We want to do things our way. We don't want to do things God's way. And you look at the governments today and you look at the organizations where governments are co-opting, uh, their judgments and, and, their, their, uh, their rule. And you see that in the UN and it is anti-Christ. Now there's a lot of people who tell you the UN's not anti-Christ. They'll, Hey, they'll say that's a great, I mean, how can you say it's an anti-Christ organization? I mean, they want to end wars. They want to end hunger. They want to end famine they want to stop global warming they want to stop poverty uh they want to bring peace uh on earth and they they promise to bring peace to the middle east and and actually if you were to go into the u.n and you go over to the 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 north area of the u.n they have a statue there that pictures a, a a man beating his sword into a plow and there's a plaque there which is on, on, on the statue and it comes from Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 that says they shall beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning hooks. But you talk about taking a verse out of context. What, what is Isaiah is speaking of in that verse? He's speaking of the millennium and that time is not yet to come and mankind is not going to usher that day in. Only Jesus Christ is going to usher that day in. And so Uh, the world world has all sorts of problems uh, and they have godless solutions to those problems and they ignore the sin issue. This world is not going to be made right until sin is taken care of. Now, sin was taken care of at the cross, but if you don't receive Jesus Christ, if you're not born again and you're not changed, then that sin issue has not been taken care of. You care of, care have been taken care of in your life. And so uh, it certainly hasn't been taken care of in this world. And so the solutions that we see for the problems of this world today are anti-Christ. And they will not bring about peace. They will only fuel the flames of war. And that's why when you read Joel, Joel takes that same wording and reverses it. In Joel chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Prepare for war, not peace. He says, Beat your plowshares into, into swords and your pruning hoots into spears. In other words, these solutions that man is offering are only going to bring this world to the brink of war, and eventually that war is going to take place. So the world is not going to solve these problems. They're only going to get worse and w- worse. And instead of turning to God for help, they will embrace this coming Antichrist. Now, who is the Antichrist? Who is he? Well, let me tell you who he's not. He's not Donald Trump. I can tell you that right now. And the world hates Donald Trump. You know what I think Donald Trump is? He's the anti-Antichrist. Now, I don't even know if the guy's a Christian. I Actually, I kind of doubt that. But everything he does goes against the spirit of Antichrist. I mean, he believes in the sovereign right of nations. I mean, he believes in borders. He believes in justice. He believes in order. He believes in an economy that's based upon your own national interest, not global interest. Uh, he champions the cause of Israel and Man, this past week, I mean, he's got the the left pulling their hair out. When he declared that uh, uh, he was going to move the American embassy to Jerusalem, I mean, they went nuts. And it's almost funny how mad they got. You know why they got mad? Because they don't believe what this Bible says about God's covenant with Israel. They don't believe that. And that's a covenant where Israel has been given that land forever. It is their land. It is, does not belong to the Palestinians. In fact, there's no such thing as a Palestinian nation. That's been made up over the last 30 or 40 years. No such thing. They never had a nation there. And so here he moves this, he moves this embassy, and, and uh, uh, everybody you know, is about to have a heart attack. And, and, and the reason is, let me tell you the reason is, they hate God. And they hate the Jews because the Jews are God's people. Franklin Graham had this to say about Donald Trump the other day. He said, Donald Trump has done, I mean, this is Billy Graham's son who's seen a lot of presidents, been around a lot of presidents. And listen to what he said. He says, Donald Trump has done more to champion the cause of Christianity than any other president in his lifetime. Any other president, and he's done it in one year. And I agree. And it's driving people nuts. All they can do is attack him. Left and right, they attack him. And I'm not not so much a big Donald Trump fan, but I'll tell you who I am a fan. of. I'm a fan of the Lord. And the Lord is pulling his strings, and I know he's pulling his strings. And you know what the Lord does when they get mad? He sits on his throne and he laughs. He laughs. He sees the left going nuts, and he, this godless left, and he laughs. But let me tell you something. That is a short reprieve that we have right now. If it lasts past four years, I'll be surprised. And then God is going to give the world the man that they really want. He'll either be the Antichrist or he will come on this scene like an Antichrist. He will precede the Antichrist with an Antichrist spirit. But that Antichrist is coming soon and he's going to come riding in on a white horse and he's going to wear a crown of olive branches. And he's going to come as a man of peace. I have no doubt he will win the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, Gorbachev won the Nobel Peace Prize. Arafat won the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, there's a bunch of thugs who have won the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, there's some good people that have done some good things that have won that prize. But I have no doubt he'll win the Nobel Peace Prize. If he, he might win it here soon. You might see somebody win it and you say, ooh, I wonder if that's the Antichrist. It's kind of apropos to me that the money that, that Alfred Noble made that is used for that fund to, to pass out those prizes, he made selling manufacturing munitions during World War I, World War I and World War II. And so uh, this is not a man of peace. He's not going to be a man of peace. and But when he comes, when the Antichrist comes, he's going to seem to have all the solutions for the major problems in this world. He's going to have ideas for ending global warming. He's going to tell, tell us what the world needs to do for, uh, to end hunger and poverty. And I, one of the things I'm sure he'll say is the United States needs to give up all they have and share it throughout all the world. So... So hang on to your wallet when he comes on the scene if you're here. I'm not going to be here. But uh, he, he will disarm the nations. He will disarm, all, he will disarm everyone he can except for himself. And uh, uh, he, he, one of the main things that he's going to do, we see from the book of Daniel, and we'll see it in the book of Revelation, he's going to bring the Jews and Muslims together in a peace agreement. And uh, uh, he's going to... Uh, allow the Jews to build their temple and he's going to allow the Muslims to keep their holy site. That seems impossible. So the guy's going to be pretty wise and he's going, to, he's going to be, you know, all but worshiped by the world. At some point, he's going to demand worship by the world. And he's going to uh, be, come in peace and the world will marvel at his success. They won't, it, it'll be, look at this guy. Look how wonderful he is. He's everything we want. He'll be a godless man. He'll bring about a one-world religion where all always lead to heaven and we're all going to heaven. Whatever you do, whatever your morality is, whatever your, your, your religion is, you're going to make it to heaven, and he's going to bring about this peace. But look what he's carrying. Go back to that verse and look what he's carrying. He's carrying a bow. He's carrying a bow, and he's coming to conquer. And so war eventually is going to break out. That's why Paul speaks of this time. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. When, that, when the Antichrist breaks that peace with Israel, when he breaks that treaty with Israel, and he comes into the temple, and he commits the abomination of desolations, then we're going to see a war like we've never seen before. Because look at what it says here. He says he went out conquering and to conquer. And so this man that brings it, supposedly this ultimate peace is going to bring about this ultimate war. And so uh, we, we, we certainly don't look for the, long for this war to come, but when it does come, I believe that the church will be raptured and we will be out of here. Because remember what Paul said. I mean, we know this is the beginning of the tribulation when the Antichrist comes on the scene. Because Paul says in chapter uh, 5 of Second Thessalonians, he says, Let no one deceive, deceive us, for the day of the great tribulation will not come until the falling away of the church and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, the Antichrist. So the first event of the revelation, the first event of the, of the great tribulation in the revelation, uh, is this opening of the first seal and this man of sin is revealed and right on cue, he's going to start this war. And that's what we see is the second seal is opened uh, in our, in verse number three. So read with me verse three and four. He says, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see and another horse fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And so he's talking about the false peace of this Antichrist. It's going to be taken from the earth. And that people shall kill one another and there was given to him, to the Antichrist, I believe who who this is speaking of here, there was given to him a great sword. And so the most terrible war I mean, you, you think how bad World War One was and World War II were. They're nothing compared to the war that, that the Antichrist is going to bring upon this earth. And it really, who's causing this war? The Lord is allowing this war on this earth. And it fits perfectly. We looked at Zechariah's vision last week of the, the two women who carried away the woman in the basket. And the woman in the basket was wickedness. And so it's wickedness that, carries away wickedness, and it's carried away to Babylon so that it's destroyed. And so that's the picture that you're getting right here. This evil man is going to carry away the wicked people, and he's going to carry them away into war where they're going to be destroyed. And, And the Antichrist has a great sword. Now, what's that sword? More than likely, I believe that sword are the nuclear weapons that the Antichrist will uh, consolidate into his uh, possession when he takes power over the world. And uh, he's not going to hesitate to use them. He's not going to hesitate to use them. You know, we got a guy over there in North Korea right now, Kim Jong-un or whatever his name is, and he's threatening to fire missiles with nuclear war tips on them at the United States of America. Well, certainly he wouldn't do that. That's what, that's what the liberal mind wants to think, a naive mind maybe is a better way to put that. You know, you're really naive if you think that guy won't fire missiles at the United States. He wouldn't hesitate to fire missiles at the United States. When push comes to shove, he would do anything he can, I mean, even if it's suicidal, to harm the United States of America. And so when you've got an antichrist who has all of this power, and somebody comes against that power he's not going to hesitate to fire those nuclear missiles and so we're going to have a nuclear war on this earth i have no doubt about it and and so those bombs are going to be used and they're going to we're going to see the wicked destroyed by wicked by wickedness and what always happens when you have war well the very next thing that you have is famine and so that brings us to the third horse of the apocalypse. Look at verses five and six. It says, when he opened the third seal, I heard a living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm The oil and the wine. Now that's interesting that he says, "Do not harm the oil and the wine." And you can't can't be exactly sure what he's speaking of there. Some people say he's talking about the spirit of God because the oil and wine, and uh, because oil and wine in the Bible are are sometimes symbolic of the spirit of God. And we do have the spirit of God, the seven spirits that are with the church, but there's also the seven spirits that go out to the earth during the great tribulation, and so. So this could be, you know, don't harm, you know, the spirit of God, but you couldn't harm the spirit of God, so I don't agree with that interpretation. I think basically God says leave them the oil, the oil that they use for, for light, the oil that they use for uh, uh, fueling their war weapons, and uh, leave, leave them the wine because they're going to need it. It's going to be really bad. But, and and it's, going to be, it's going to be tough to, to get a meal. A denarius uh, is one day's wages, and one day's wages, you'll work for a day, and all you're able to buy is one quart of wheat. Well, one quart of wheat will only feed one person. So if you've got a family of six, that means you're going to begin to starve because you're dividing that six ways, unless you want to eat barley, which is the chaff. You want to eat the chaff, then you can get three quarts of barley for a denarius, and so... Uh, you'll get a little bit more food, but it won't be quite as good. Uh, but basically, in any case, what he's saying here is that the days of buffets and Big Macs are over. I mean, it's going to be tough. And so you're going to have these nuclear explosions on Earth. Then you're going to have this nuclear fallout. You're going to have uh, this lack of food. And then you're going to have, because of that, you're going to have disease and death. And so right on cue, we get the fourth horse and go to verses 7 and 8. And he says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on on it was death. And, And Hades followed with him. Look, people are going to die in all of this for sure. But when they're dead, it's not over for them. They're going to die, and where are they going to go? They're going to go to Hades. Hades is a place in the the center of the earth where there were two compartments at one time. There was paradise, and there was Hades. And now paradise has been emptied out when Jesus died on the cross. And so all we're left with is Hades. And so if you die and you don't know the Lord, then you're going to go to Hades. So it's not over. As bad as it was on the earth, it's going to be just as bad when you get to Hades. And so you see this terrible picture there. He says uh, again. He says uh, he says death and Hades followed with him, and the power was given to them over fourth of the earth. In other words, a fourth of the earth's population is going to die uh, during these this portion of the tribulation. Now, more than that's going to die during the whole Great Tribulation. But during this portion of the Great Tribulation, over a fourth of the population is going to die. We think how terrible it was that 3,000 people were killed when those towers fell in New York. Billions of people are going to die during the Great Tribulation. And uh, a fourth of the earth, they were given over to kill with the sword, with hunger, with with this great sword, uh, and, and hunger, and with death. And by the beast of the earth. I mean, if the, the sword didn't get you and hunger didn't get you, then the beast of the earth can get you. I saw a person the other day that died of a spider bite, and I and they showed pictures of her leg and how gross that was. Can you imagine if God sends the beast of this earth out upon this world, how bad it's going to be? And and you see all of these things taking place, and 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 it's. And we want to attribute this to the devil. Now, the devil's going to have his heyday here. But again, where are these spirits going forth from? They're going forth from the throne of God. This is the providence of God taking place. This is predicted throughout Scripture that one day the cup of wrath of the world's sins is going to be full, and God is going to pour out his wrath on this world. And that's what the great tribulation is. And so uh John sees this horse here, I mean this terrible horse and it it had to be the ugliest horse he had ever seen. He says he said so I looked and behold it was a pale horse. That word for pale there is is the Greek word chloros, which is it isn't really pale. It's a grayish silver green. It, it's the color of a corpse, the terrible color of a corpse. And and so uh that's really the picture that's being given here that in this great tribulation there's gonna be a lot of corpses when over one fourth of the world population is killed. So there you have it. The four horsemen of the apocalypse coming to a planet near you soon. You remember the scene we saw in heaven a few weeks back just before these horses were released upon the world. What was going forth from the throne? Thundering and lightnings, Warning that a great storm was coming. Look around the world. I mean, you've got to be blind. If you don't see that a storm is coming, I mean, do you see the lightning? Do you hear the thunder? On 9-11, I I saw the lightning. I heard the thunder as those towers went down and those 3,500 people or so were killed in Pennsylvania and Washington and New York. I've heard several generals who have said the toppling of those towers was the beginning of World War III. And war hasn't stopped since then. They announced the other day that ISIS is done with. They're they're finished. Uh, They've wiped them out of Iraq. I'm, our soldiers are doing a great job, don't get me wrong, but they haven't wiped them out of anywhere. ISIS is, a, is, a, is, a, is like the horsemen of the apocalypse. It's a force. It's not some particular army. It's a group of people who hate Christianity and hate the Jews. You're not going to get rid of that. It permeates all of Islam. It, it's, it's not over. It, it reminds me of when, when uh, George Bush landed on the carrier proclaiming victory in the Iraq war well, look what happened after that I mean I saw the lightning when Katrina hit New Orleans I mean a, a, an apocalyptic storm that, that took place that decimated that city I, then right after that or right before that I can't remember I believe it was right before that that a tsunami that hit the far east and over a quarter of a million people were killed I heard the thunder when Harvey and Irma hit the United States, and that that hurricane—I guess it was it Irma—that hit Puerto Rico. It wasn't Irma. Maria, Maria hit Puerto Rico. I saw the lightning. I saw it flashing. God is sending out His warnings that hey, things are happening, and the end is near. So get ready. Now after all this talk of mayhem and destruction and the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the great tribulation, I've got one last word I want to give you before we leave. Merry Christmas. I'm serious. Yes, the Antichrist is coming. And when he comes, men will say peace on earth, goodwill to men. But there won't be any peace. Beware when men say peace and safety because the time of the tribulation is near. The Antichrist is coming. And he's going to lead the world into the greatest war that there's ever been. But somebody beat him here. Jesus, the real Christ beat him here. Jesus Christ. And when he came to Bethlehem, there were a multitude of angels who sang. And what did they sing? Peace on earth, good will to man. And Jesus Christ is not a charlatan. He doesn't offer a false peace. He offers real peace through his blood that he shed on the cross. He offers peace with God, and he offers the peace of God. And when we have that peace, when we have peace with God, and we have the peace of God because we have the Spirit of God living in us, then we know that we have not been appointed to wrath. We haven't been appointed to the wrath that's to come. And so Merry Christmas. Thank God for Christmas. Thank God that he sent Jesus Christ the first time to this earth to die for our sin. Thank God that when all of this uh, mayhem and war and terror Trying things happen on this earth during the great tribulation. Thank God that He's coming back and He's going to rule this world in truth and righteousness. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, there's not a better time to, to come to Him and repent and receive Him into your heart than Christmas time. Uh, give your life to Him. you don't know him give your life to him and and, uh, no matter what you see happening around this world you don't have to worry about it because there will be peace on earth when he comes back and there will be peace in your heart until he does come back let's go to the Lord in prayer father we just thank you for your goodness and we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ this hope that we have been given uh, through Uh, his birth on this earth, through his death on the cross. Lord, we just are so blessed to have you as our God and as our Savior. Thank you for, Lord, we just thank you for uh, just everything that you've done. Lord, we'd have nothing to fear. As we can read through the book of Revelation, Lord, we we read it with hope. We read it knowing that one day you are going to return, that all these things have to happen first but Lord, that even before they happen, you're going to remove us from this world and you're going to take us to live with you forever. What a great hope we have. And all of that comes through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.